Welcome, everyone, to DFW's number one hockey podcast. We are Spits and Suds on 105.3 The Fan. I'm Gavin Spittle. And joining me, as he always does for his weekly visit, it's our NHL insider from EP Ringside, from Shap Shots, from D Magazine, and from Hollywood, Sean Shapiro, with a very special guest as the director of The Late Game which is the movie that Sean appears in. It's a really, really cool movie. You got to check it out. It's about an 11 p.m. beer league, which we all love the beer leagues. That's what we're all about. And the main character subs for a team called Polly's Pies in their game against the beer league powerhouse, Young Genos. The trailer is hilarious. The director, Jeff Tyner, joins us. Thank you so much for hopping on Spits and Suds to talk to us about the movie today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm pumped. Can't wait for more people to see it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So tell us first, before we get into the movie, how big is Sean Shapiro's trailer that he requested? Oh, man, he was pretty humble, actually. You know, he was a, he was a real people's person on set. <laughs> nice, nice. Sean, explain how you guys know each other. Yeah, so uh, Jeff and I, we go back. Jeff and I are friends back from school. We both went to Bowling Green. And uh, it's kind of funny. We became friends basically through a beer league. We were, we were, I think Jeff, if I remember correctly, you had just, uh, it was the first year. It was my sophomore year of college. I think it was technically your sophomore year, Jeff, or whatever it was. But uh, I had started getting back to playing again after I'd blown my knee out. Uh, and we kind of met playing at, at some pickups and played beer league and, we found a beer league team to play for called the ice holes and that we were on together. <laughs> and uh, so we played, we played there and we just became good friends. And uh, whenever we would go watch hockey at the bar on a Friday or Saturday night or whatever, it was off. Jeff and I were off, off usually the ones going. And so uh, we've known each other now for geez, uh, 15 something years now. And uh, it was, uh, it all started because we, we both played hockey and uh, needed a place to keep playing in life. Wow. Wow. And Jeff, is that where the inspiration from the movie came about? Oh man, that actually inspiration came a little bit later. Yeah. Um, I'd kind of taken a break off from beer league, moving to Denver in 2016 and realizing how much I was missing it, got back into it, um, was really loving it. And then the COVID shutdown happened and um, had simultaneously been working on a hockey script for a really long time. A few different ones that I would bail on just cause I just wasn't feeling it. And then I decided to put my sights on beer league instead because it's just, I felt like it was the most wide reaching sort of subdivision of hockey. And yeah, just um, started out with the short for the first draft, made it feature length on the second draft and away we went. And uh, Sean was aware of it for a while, but you know, once I made him the official offer, he was, uh, I was surprised that he could make it, you know, he was the person I always had in mind for it. So I'm glad schedules allowed. Yeah, that's uh, that's super cool. You know, I saw one shot, uh, Sean, of you today, and you looked, you had that goalie look, very serious in that. I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, yeah. like he's great, great look as a goalie. Yeah. This was, uh, I remember when uh, when Jeff reached out to me about it because I knew he had, had been working on it and everything, and it's something we talked about before. But I remember he called me about it. He's like, "Hey, we're actually making this thing." Uh, you want you want to do it, and I I kind of remember my first reaction was when he was talking about making a hockey movie. I said, "Well, 
you know, I've never played higher than beer league, right? Like there's not, <laughs> like, there's not, uh, this is not, I'm not, this is not a, uh, and he actually, I, I loved your response at that time, Jeff. And I was like, no, that's perfect. You're exactly what we need. So. All right. But the reality <laughs> is Jeff, that you do have to cast people that can, you know, skate. I mean, granted it's beer league, but were there, were there anyone that you cast that didn't know how to skate and learn to be in the movie? Well, that's kind of how we based it. I, a lot of the people in the movie are my friends that I knew I could count on. Um, but, you know, our lead actor, uh, Alec Rush, who plays Riley, um, he, we, he was the unknown. I knew that role needed to be someone with some acting experience versus every, the, all the other focus was hockey. So he told us he could play, but we had a contingency plan if he was really terrible, because I've known actors who say, yeah, I can skate so they can book a commercial and then they get fired on the first day when it's obvious they can't. So gladly that didn't come around. Alec was actually really good. But we also had a, another friend who was there was originally going to be there's only one ref character in the movie. We uh, originally had plans for two. And our buddy who said he could skate realized pretty quickly that he thought he could skate better than he, than he did. So. We uh, that actually kind of led to us only having one rough character versus two, um, but other than that, you know, everybody in the movie is a hockey player, so that was that made shooting the hockey actually a little more obtainable. And we know we don't have to do any kind of Hollywood magic for the hockey; everyone's out there doing the real thing. Yeah, you know, the other cool aspect last Saturday night, I went to the Stars alumni game, and then after the game, um, went into the room and. It was just a congregation of people and some of their families were there and having some pops after the game and just swapping stories, lots of chirping. And what I love about this movie is, is that you guys do focus some quality time, you know, in the room, which I think is, is such an important aspect of hockey. Oh yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, that was always, it actually used to have, I think an even larger part um, and I think we needed, we just needed, knew we needed to hurry up to get on the ice, um, so to speak. So, but I am glad that we keep a solid eight minutes in the room just because I think that that's, I think where all the action really happens on a beer league night is the pregame locker room. And then, you know, some guys hurry out at the end of a game, some guys hang around, but I feel like that's, I think the, the highest point of that social aspect is the pregame locker room. So yeah, very important to keep that in. And I, I do remember from, uh, from when we were filming one of the one of jeff's direct director jeff's biggest stressors and i know jeff pretty well so i can tell what he's stressed and what he's not what what of when we were on the ice and we were filming the hockey scenes uh that was for us for him dealing with the actors that was the easy part when we're dealing with like hey um i want you to just play and we'll shoot some action but the day we shot like the there's like a and then I think it ends up being like there's like a four or five minute dialogue scene in the movie before the game or something like that or however long it is. And I remember uh, Jeff on the day we filmed that, like he was just like throughout the set. Jeff was always like, all right, we got to get through this set. This one's going to be the tough, like the one where it's it's just the it's the back and forth. There's all the different coverages of everything. And I just remember you on set, Jeff, just being so worried about getting through that locker room scene and getting it right, just because it was the one where you couldn't be like, okay, I just need you to skate and react. <laughs> oh yeah. That was, that was always fun of like, um, you know, our main bad guy who plays Chet, uh, Chris Curtis, we hired him a day before we started shooting. He never even saw a script and the shorthand, like, so the shorthand on the ice with him, like, Hey, you ever played in a game where some asshole does this? Ooh, can I curse? I'm sorry. 
Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, you can, you okay, can, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, some asshole does this in a game. You know that guy? He's like, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, you're that guy. He's like, oh, say no more. So, but yeah, split that to the locker room and you have, you know, this is a pretty big undertaking, a pretty ambitious undertaking to have this much, this many people in one small space with this many lines. And, you know, we, we were working on, you know, trying to get that flow down and it's pretty cool to see. That was my favorite part of directing this. This was my feature debut is especially the added layer of having my friends there is you get to see this first take and it's rough and we're, we're stumbling through it, but to see that progress even through that one scene and by the time that was this was definitely one of the longer days but by the end of shooting this that pregame locker room scene the flow had really developed and we're adding things that aren't in the script that feel really good and that um so yeah stressful up front but i do think we really found our groove in that day there is one scene where a michigan goal is performed and the question is is that cgi or does someone really do the michigan oh, no, goal no, that you bring up CGI. I don't know if you're just. We obviously don't have the budget for that. that I, know, I, know, I know, I know, I know. But when you when you say that, we got uh, me and my uh, cinematographer. We actually got to speak to the cinematographer for Miracle. I'm, I wish I had his name handy, because um, that's you know, as you probably agree, that's the gold standard for yep. hockey action a movie. It's so good, and I was really surprised to hear from him that a lot of the puck is digital in that movie. Um. That was never a realistic option for us, obviously. But like, I was surprised that that was the case with that with that movie. I just I I wouldn't have caught it. Huh? So someone actually on the set did a Michigan goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Zach Bell. I'm um, sorry for the tangent. Yeah, that was yeah. Zach Bell. Uh, we always knew he was gonna showcase his talents, so that was one we kind of um, improved on the fly. Actually, um, we had to cut some goals out of the script, and um, we knew he was gonna have a, at least a pretty goal in the movie. So yeah, we made sure to block that out. And I really think that's one of the stronger sequences of the movie. So kind of a cool thing. You guys debuted the trailer and Sean went down to Charleston and RA from spitting chicklets, uh, who plays the Zamboni driver, um, is also in the movie and everyone went down to Charleston, an East coast hockey league game and debuted the trailer. Talk about why Charleston. Um, so Zucker, Jeffrey Zucker and I, uh, Jeffrey Zucker, he plays John Calamino, um, and he's so good in that, but is also one of the main producers with me. And we grew up in the South. It's just so much of, of hockey experience is the same, I think, no matter where you're at. But there's definitely some unique wrinkles to growing up in the Southeast and playing travel hockey and all that. And that was always important to us. We've talked about making a movie for 15 years, uh, me and Zucker. So for almost that entire time, that was something that was always important to us. We, we knew we had access to that location, the Carolina Ice Palace in North Charleston, but that was, it. we wanted to go beyond just that. So we're so pumped that there's all of this Stingrays branding in there, um, references to some local restaurants that are favorites of ours, little things like that. I don't think we really fully hit it over the head, but I mean, Carolina Ice Palace is prominently featured in the movie. We don't have to hide anything like that. So I think that was important for us and it just, you know, it's, it's a non-traditional hockey market. It's a small hockey market. So I think um, some people out there who play in more traditional places, I think it can be a fun little wrinkle to see. So Paul, uh, yeah, it, sorry. Sean, oh, oh, no, I was just going to say for a lot of our listeners on this show, for Dallas people, I think it's the movie takes place in South Carolina. And obviously, as Jeff said, it doesn't shy away from that. But 
to me as someone who has played beer league in Dallas and down in Austin before and everything like that, there's a lot of elements to the South Carolina hockey Southern experience that you get in Dallas and Texas. And so I think for a lot of people who listen to this show, if maybe you're listening to this show on your way to your own beer league game in Dallas right now, over in Frisco or something like that, there's a lot of elements where it's kind of a bit of a shared experience where you uh, like, I was thinking like, we had, for example, the other team in this is uh, played by a lot of guys from the College of Charleston club team. And I remember talking to them about how far they would travel for games. Well, I remember seeing kids from Baylor driving all the way up to from Waco to Dallas to, to play games. So I think the, sh- the Southern hockey shared experience when you're below the NHL, it's, it's really common. And I think it's something that's going to connect with people who listen to this show. And really, so I really wanted to make, make sure I tied that in Gavin to make, get our local angle there. No, that's super cool. Yeah, no, I know a lot of guys that play in beer leagues and there is a fascination about beer leagues because I was thinking about this, um, this morning in that you have adult leagues in basketball and the beer league really is, as far as the major sports, you do have some adult soccer leagues, but you know, the beer league primarily is that like fantasy league for guys that still want to be on, you know, the ice and play a sport where they can still be a little bit physical. I know checking isn't allowed, but um, I know Luds talks about it all the time. Every once in a while, there's a guy that, you know, wants to go out and showboat and said, I could have been and tell stories and stuff like that. And anytime a former NHL or someone that played in college or something, you know, has any kind of hockey experience, you know, the beer league guys want to challenge uh, that person. So there is a fascination about the beer league. Yeah, it's really, I think it's a unique thing across, like you're saying across the big sports in that something about hockey just feels more specialized than these other sports. Like, yeah, if you're physically, if you're talented enough, you can just pick up the ball and play most sports, but with hockey, you got to have all the stuff you I love to hear when adults jump into the game and learn to play, but you know, you got to have the right mindset for that too, because there's no way around sucking at hockey for a while. You know, you have, it's such a hard sport to pick up. So I do think there is a, I don't know if you want to call it pride or something like that of I can do this thing that most people can't. And then you throw on the layers of competition. I do, I do think it makes some people feel young. And I think the social aspect to it too is, is such an undervalued thing. And it's uh, it's cool to see. I play out here in Denver. I play at a rink that's like one of these multi-sport uh, facilities. They have basketball, lacrosse, soccer, all that stuff. And it's such an interesting melting pot of adults still still staying active. All right, tell tell us about the the names, uh, Polly's Pies and Young Genos, uh, as far as the <laughs> okay. history of those names. Yeah, so that's. Um, so, like I said, I struggled writing something hockey for a while, um, and Sean can probably identify that. It's like, if you just try to think about hockey on the higher level, it's information overload, and that made writing about it difficult. So I needed to pick, I felt with this, I needed to pick a very specific game to sort of anchor it to, and then build the story out from there. So when I was getting back into hockey, it was, I was I very much had Riley's point of view. I'm a new guy. I'm, I'm placed on this team. Um, I'm really down on myself. My confidence is low because I'm so rusty, but, and then, so it's like the second game I show up to, we were playing a team that's called, I think they were called the young biscuits, something like that. And they were all like 18 year old kids that were just like, just dogging everybody in the league. And I'm just like, Oh crap, this is going to suck. Um, and you know, we had a great performance from our goalie 
Um, we win the game in a shootout. It was just sort of like a real, this was early on in me getting back into it. So it was a real good shot in the arm um, for that sort of in, continued enthusiasm. So um, Gino's, there's a little layers to it, but you know, I know Gino's is slang for goals and I'm, I'm never really big on the hockey jargon. So like, if I try to say it, I just sound dorky, but I do think it's a funny sort of subsect of hockey of, you know, get, everything's got to have a different term for it. Bucket twig all that yeah, stuff lettuce got um, it yeah lettuce all of that so yeah that's where young genos pretty much came from uh i just liked hitting it over the head with uh you know no subtlety with that name and then holly's pies is kind of a weird origin um so my main movie theater out here in denver used to have the only perkins restaurant out here and just plaster all over their windows was like perkins pie society meets on mondays but it's it's really just like if you pay for an entree you get a free slice of pie but i just thought pie society was the funniest thing so for a while they were they were perkins pie society with this same sort of you know one guy's trying to get them free pie kind of a thing but jeffrey zucker wisely is like well if we want to be able to sell jerseys we should make up our own pie company so that's how polly's pies was born and then we made the logo for it and just kind of it just fell into place and kind of stayed permanent nice Nice. Okay. And I also wanted to ask you, saw some background shots. Obviously, it's a long day at the barn. However, I'm seeing you and the crew with hoodies over your head. Was there any chirping from the cast based on you guys trying to stay warm? Not really, actually, really? because I'm, I run hot, you know, so I wasn't expecting it. But then so the compressors broke at the rink. So it was actually a lot more humid and cold than most people are used to even us that are used to being on the rink. So actually a lot of the guys are pretty cold themselves. And Sean can attest to this is we were on the ice for a long time and it's a lot of standing around. So I think the the, the players were just as cold. So yeah, um, I, uh, we had a lucky set of circumstances for like not fun shooting days. Sean, how many, wanted... overall, how many overall saves did you make? Oh, geez. Overall, man. Ooh. I mean, we, we shot for, I think I was down there for 12 days. We were probably on the ice for probably 10 of them actually facing shots. And, um, geez, I mean, I, I, it's funny. Like I've played hockey my entire life, still play, uh, still play beer league on Wednesdays nights. Shout out to the anchor men who are in the middle of a nice little four game heater right now. <laughs> um, the, um, the, and uh but i've never spent that long even like as a kid going to like goalie camps and stuff like that never spent that long in gear in a day and it was uh the parts that and it's not just the scenes that i'm in in goal just because this is a like one of the terms that uh, we talked about kind of after the movie came out that we were laughing about was this a beer league movie made with a beer league budget and i want to be clear it's a really good movie but it was a, but because of the size of the staff and everything like that there's certain scenes or schedules and things like that. So there's some times where we would need an extra body in the background where the face isn't in or whatever. And so like there would be times where I'm not actually in the scene as a goalie, but there'd be times where like Jeff would be like, Hey, Sean, can you throw the other goalie's pads on? <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so I, would, I, I would end up in the other net for the, just like kind of just to be in the background. So the movie magic could happen and everything like that. And uh, geez, I mean, thousands of shots. I mean, wow. I've seen over 12, like thousands of shots. And um, my problem, and I'll out myself on this, one of my biggest issues, because so many of the people uh, Jeff brought in for this were guys, okay, we taught to, we're 
beer league hockey players first actors not even second actors whatever jeff had to teach a bunch of us how to act and uh honestly i learned a ton from our lead alec um alec rush he's uh he's uh really he he was impressive like he's a real actor he's like just kind of seeing how he handled things you watch him in the movie i love the way alec's facial expressions just really direct things actually i think you guys did a really good job capturing that in the final cut jeff but my problem i ruined so many shots in the first three days because i couldn't stop looking at the camera oh yeah there's, <laughs> so a, there's a big one that's still in the, the final cut too when you're in that you just stare right down the camera for like a second. Great. <laughs> but, yeah the amount of, our, our cinematographer uh finn the amount of times that he would have to say sean stop looking at the camera like it was <laughs> it was not <laughs> that was uh i had to i had to learn that for, i had to learn that it took me a couple days to do that <laughs> oh that that's great all right jeff where can people like us our spits and suds faithful where can they uh, watch the movie? So I'm not sure the official date yet because we, we've we submitted everything to Amazon to rent, um, but it's up to a 30-day process. So as soon as that date is locked in and finalized, we'll post it on all of our socials. If you go to the lategame.com, that sort of has like our link tree with just every link you would need. It's got both links for both trailers out there the our main trailer is really picking up steam over fifty five thousand views we're really excited about that um so yeah that's that's where it's gonna be i think i would say the, at the absolute latest the first week of march um but we, yeah we'll definitely make that official date well known when it's official well we'll keep uh we'll keep plugging it of course because sean appears here all the time and when it gets closer and when we hit that date we'll certainly uh give it a plug and uh congratulations on your uh first project and uh I'm just saying, if you need a broadcaster in future projects, uh, you know, happy to give my resume. 100%. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> Thank you for so, so much for having me, man. Yeah, no problem. Once again, the movie is The Late Game, and it features one of our hosts, Sean Shapiro, and the director, Jeff Tyner, uh, joins us. Thanks again, man. Have a great day, buddy. You too. Thanks again. Awesome to hear from Jeff Tyner on Spits and Sud. Sean, I'm excited about this movie, and you're actually going to be involved in some watch parties that are going to be happening across uh, across the country. Hint, hint, DFW. Yeah. Come to DFW soon, yeah, please. Yeah. So, um, first of all, in our, our most recent thing, next this this coming week, or sorry, a week from today, we're going to be the first time people can see it in public. We'll be in New Jersey. We're doing a little uh, with the NHL Stadium Series next week. We're going to do... Uh, the NHL Stadium Series is the 15th and 16th. Uh, uh, sorry, the si- 17th and 18th is the NHL Stadium Series. So the 16th, that Friday night before, we will be uh, showing the mo- We have a couple showings for the times in Hoboken, New Jersey, right near uh, MetLife Stadium, where the Giants and Jets play, where the games will be played. And we'll be sh- doing a showing there. And uh, so if we have any listeners who happen to be Stars fans that are in New York or New Jersey, and you want to see the movie in person, head down to, uh, you can check out, I've probably tweeted about it at Sean Shapiro or go to the late game and we've got something there. But we will, um, one of our kind of plans, one of the kind of plans for for the other Jeff, it's funny because there's two Jeffs on this project. We talked to Jeff Tyner and then the executive producer is Jeff Zucker. Uh, one of the other plans that Jeff Zucker and I have been talking about is kind of our promotion and in-person viewings available and uh DFW has been on our, our list as we figure things out of where we're going to do some showings. Uh, we'd like to like our, our dream here is to do setups where you show the movie. Um, 
you get a maybe a cast member or two in town, do kind of a Q&A, nice meet and greet, have some fun with it, um, and, uh, and enjoy some beer league hockey stories. So uh, hopefully uh, DFW Texas is on the is on the schedule sooner than later. And uh, if uh, anyone listening to this show is interested in that, in a showing of the movie and seeing it in Dallas, feel free to uh, shoot me a tweet or an email or whatever. And I'll just use those as data points to show to our executive producer as reasons that DFW should be higher on the list. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So our Dallas stars in action tomorrow against Montreal as they finish their uh, road trip. Win in Buffalo. Thanks to Jake Ottinger and uh tough loss the other night, although, you know, I kind of knew it going in. I just think Toronto's a tough matchup, Sean. And, uh, you know, stars too much time in the box, obviously. Three for three on the power play. Um, and then the league comes out after because there was a little incident where Mason Marchment went up high. And uh, the league has fined Mason Marchment $5,000, which is the league maximum. He does not get a suspension. Uh, so we will see Mason Marchment tomorrow tomorrow in Montreal. Yeah, it's it's it, for one the concept and is funny. It's 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 amazing to me that the NHL CBA still makes five thousand dollars the league maximum because right like yeah Mason Marchment is um like what's what's the math on that right Mason Marchment who's making this year who is is making four point five million dollars this year what is five thousand dollars to Mason Marchment like it's that's it's 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 pretty laughable. I mean, like five thousand dollars to me—that's a lot of money. That's a big fine. But I'm not making four and a half million dollars. When you're making four and a half million dollars, like that's it's it's kind of. It, I don't really think it sends that much of a message. And it's interesting because Marchman, when this came up, it reminded me. There's been a couple other times Marchman has been fined for um, uh, not a, a hit like this, but he's been fined. Uh, twice or three times. I can't remember whether it's two fines and a warning or three fines for actually embellishment before for diving. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where just, it's not that he's been suspended or anything like that, but it's kind of one of those things where I don't know. And I'm curious of your opinion on this, Gavin, of when a guy keeps is getting fined a little bit more often than others, does that mean he's pushing too far or does that mean he's just really good at towing the line because there's so much worse that could be happening? I, I, I don't know. I've been I've been wondering about this. I was driving around today. And this this ran this random thought, this random bug grabbed into my head, and I don't know the answer to it. <laughs> I think I agree with you. I think the NHL should up their fines, but I also think if fines are happening on a regular basis, that certainly should play a key role in a suspension and you could even put, and I don't know if the Players Association would agree with this, so many times find in a season you get a game. Because, I mean, you yeah, know, the yeah. NBA has something like that where so many technicals in a season you get a game. Yeah. So, and I think it's uh, – and there's an equivalent in 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 European soccer, right? Like if, if a player gets X amount of yellow cards, you get a game too. So, like, there is a – there is a – you can do it. It's not the – it, there's definitely a other sports have set the precedent where this is possible. Yeah. Yeah. That was a tough game for Mason too, because on that fourth Toronto goal, he completely lost his man. And, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> Lud sent me a text with a big circle around him and then the circle mm-hmm. around the Toronto player. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just a tough game for uh, Mason who I think is, 
you know, I mean, we all know he's played so much better this year. And, you know, we haven't talked about, you know, oh, this has been a bad signing and stuff. And it's been really great to see him on the Duchesne, um, Duchesne line. I just, you know, hopefully those antics are kept to a minimum. Hopefully it was just, you know, playing hard. Uh, I've said all week, though, Sean, in our post-podcast and with Luds the other day, I felt that game also changed, obviously, the time in the box, so therefore the power play. But I felt as though Toronto exerted some physicality, um, and I think that kind of changed the game as well. They were pushing the Stars around. It was, uh, yeah, I mean... It was also an interesting game too for Dallas, and you know both teams were coming off of the break. It was both both teams are coming off that, but playing a second game of a back to back on the road is never exactly e- easy, right? So I think there was some element to that, um, and it was it was kind of one of those games where, to me, one of the weird things about it was if there was any lesson from the Buffalo game the night before where um, it would have been a little bit to me, there would have been like, okay, let's as a group, let's, let's set the tone a little bit more. Let's do this. Let's do that. And that, that's something where I realize I'm nitpicking completely nitpicking, but that's something I would have liked to see a little bit taken from like, Hey, we got out, we got bombed. We got bombed at five. We got, we got bombed at five on five in the opening period on Monday night or on t- uh, Tuesday night against, uh, against Buffalo. Let's be better about this. Come on, guys. Yeah. Like that's the one lesson I would have liked to kind of see. And I think that kind of set that Toronto set the tone physically then and it pushed Dallas around a little bit. And the stars had their comeback push at the end, but it's the kind of the age old the the old adage, right? Like you can't win a game in the first twenty minutes, but you can lose one. And they just put themselves in too much of a hole. Yeah. 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 They did. And I don't I don't think Wedgwood played bad. I, I just think No, no, oh, no, he didn't. So, yeah. I mean, clean looks against those those high value players of Toronto, that's that's those are tough saves. Well, and you also can't have like it's you, it's the penalty kill. You I mean you gotta be better. You can't let a team go three for three on the power play, right? Like I don't even think the you can't let a team go three for three on the power play. And the other thing about it is you like when you are getting opportunities and you have like those windows, sometimes you just need to stop the bleeding, right? To me, the the Austin Matthews goal that made it 3-2, that was kind of, to me, that was the, the turning point of the game, right? Because it felt like the inevitability, right? Toronto had scored on the first power play. They had scored on the second power play. And to me, that was the power play where it's a 2-2 game. Um, and for from a Dallas perspective, like, like, come on, okay, let's 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 get it together. Let's stop this. And it almost felt like um from the minute that penalty was taken, it felt like Austin, Toronto was going to score. Yeah. And when you couldn't change that feeling, that's when the game kind of got away for me, even with the even with the I know it was I know it was technically a tie game early in the third period after the Dadanoff penalty shot and everything, but it was just it it was that combined with the Marner goal after the Dadanov one that just made it feel like, okay, you had to stop the inevitability. You had to do something to do it, and you didn't put up enough um, of an obstacle for Toronto here. Yeah. If my math plays right, Sean, if Mason Marchman plays 900 games, that will equate to his salary for one year. 
Yeah. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> yeah. <Yep. laughs> All right, let's let's talk about Montreal. They came into the AAC and played really well earlier this year. So um, while it's not one of the elite teams in the NHL, I think it's still going to be a, a, a tough game. It is a matinee, and matinees, anything can happen. Legs get a little time going. The Stars do have uh, a day off, so that's good. They get some rest. But uh, I'm interested to watch this game, and I'm interested to see if it's a different game than the first one we watched here in Dallas. Yeah, I, I like the matinee games personally. I know Me too. It's, uh, I, I, think it's, uh, I, I think the league should do – I actually love the schedule this weekend. I think there's like, if you look around the league um, on the Saturday, there's one, two, three, four, five, five games that are like afternoon games. I love those. I, I think we've talked about it before. I've confessed my love for afternoon hockey games because I think it's great. It allows you to a have games throughout the day. If you want to sit and watch games all day, like you can, like if you are uh, on Saturday, you can watch stars Canadians at one Bruins Capitals at three thirty, and then and then watch the evening games. Like I think it's great for the sport. I just think it's great for in person. I think it's great for families to get kids to games and everything like that. And plus, you take everyone to the game. You go out. You get to have dinner afterwards. It's a nice day. Like I love that. Anywho, Montreal, interesting team because they are kind of right in that spot where they are surprised. They are like. I expected Montreal to be, I didn't expect Montreal to be eight points out of a playoff spot at this time of season, Gavin. Like, I don't think they're a playoff team and I'm not pretending they are. Yeah. Um, but I didn't expect Montreal to be better than Ottawa, better than Buffalo. Um, I probably expected them to be better than Columbus. But like, like I, I there, there's certain teams where in the Eastern conference they're a little bit closer than i thought they would be and they're kind of in that really weird mushy middle they play a style that is that can be entertaining at times um they let up a lot of goals they, they let up a lot of goals i was going to bring that um, up so they're can, fourth in the league in yeah. goal differential with negative 36 yeah so like they let up a lot of goals um but they tend to play like it's it's one of those teams where they're in it until they kind of break and we're still kind of going through this fascinating experiment with Marty St. Louis as a coach, because I think Marty St. Louis is a great development coach. I think he's done really good things for some of the young players there. I think Nick Suzuki's gotten better. Cole Caulfield's gotten better um, uh, playing for even uh, Uri Slavkowski, the uh, first round pick, first overall pick from a couple of years back. I think they've individually all gotten better. Um, and of course, uh, in, in that case has made the Canadians better as a team. But I don't know if Marty St. Louis is a good team coach. It's it's a really interesting distinction because, like, I would, I would always, if I was making a coaching staff, I would mark Marty St. Louis on it because I think he would do great things for my skill players. I just don't know about him as a head coach, and I'm still learning that. And it's interesting to watch that team because, at some point, the other weird thing about Montreal, Gavin, is at some point the team has to become Nick Suzuki, has to become Yaroslavkowski. It has to become Cole Caulfield's team. Right now, it's one of the weird teams like how the Patriots used to be, where when Bill Belichick, it was Bill Belichick and the Patriots, yeah. and obviously Tom Brady too, but like it feels like Marty St. Louis and the, and the Canadians, and until the Canadians become a team where a player gets first billing, I don't know if they can kind of take that next step, if that makes sense here. Yeah, and they're also on a three-goalie rotation, which is interesting too. <laughs> I, I, I don't mind that. Like, I actually, I'm fascinated with to see, like, 
I actually think they're doing that the right way where when they have a guy, when they have guys playing, when they've got back to back or whatever, they send the starter off to the next city and everything like that. I think that's great. But at some point you got to think they're going to trade Jake Allen, right? One of these teams at the deadline has to line with, with goalie struggle, goalie trouble. is going to trade for Jake Allen, right? Come on. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm so interested in the NHL trade deadline this year with Allen and, and flurry and um, you know, Maybe Gibson in Anaheim getting moved. Um, but, you know, it's so interesting with goalie salaries, too, if teams can fit them in and who they want. So uh, it's going to be a fascinated uh, trade deadline. And, of course, we're looking at right-handed defensemen across the league and saying, you know, who can, who can we pick up? So I uh, did want to point out, as we move across the league now, NHL.com, Dan Rosen is their senior writer. And the 2025... Four Nations Faceoff is going to be held next February, and it's replacing the All-Star Game with NHL players from Finland, Sweden, Canada, and the United States competing in a round-robin tournament. Sean, the only thing I'll say about this, and I had this, I know they put it together quick, and we'll get to Dan's column in a second, but I hate to see teams from other nations missing out and not being able to be in there based on country. And so I was thinking, how cool would it be if there could be like a, a German-Czech combo or something where you take a few countries and put them together, and that would be a team as well? Yeah, it, it's the thing where they did they did the Team Europe thing at the last World Cup of Hockey yeah. where they also did Team North America and everything like that, and I thought that was fun. I, I, I did think that was fun. Um I, my my issue with this, I think this tournament had to happen, and I think I get a bit. I think, in my best solution, and it's whenever you complain about something, you should probably come with a solution, right? I think that's the best way to look at life. Um, I think you had to do something like this to get the ball rolling. Like I think that just I, I think something had to start it. That's and that's okay. Um, I don't like that we've got. David Pasternak is going to be probably one of the Hart Trophy finalists this year, based yep. off how things go, right? Like, and we're not going to have, and now we're not going to have one for sure because obviously Russia is involved in with Nikita Kucherov will be a finalist for the Hart. But like, fact is now we're not going to have David Pasternak too because the Czechs aren't involved, and so Leon like, Dreisaitl. I think, yeah, and and Dreisaitl is an interesting one because I think the Germans are really close, but they're like that. That's eighth team right now because they don't have enough depth mm-hmm. um and since this is an nhl tournament so my solution would have been and you could have built it this way and you could have sold it this way my solution would have been to make it a six-team tournament because right now you have two great traditional hockey rivalries international hockey rivals say canada in Sweden, Finland. Sweden, Finland is going to be awesome. I have been looking forward to that one. And from a Stars fan's perspective, you're going to have a lot to watch with Team Finland. I think you could have brought the Czechs and Slovaks as well. And then you could have built it as, hey, we're bringing three of the biggest traditional rivalries, Czechs, Slovaks, um, Finns, Swedes, and and and, and the uh, and obviously USA, Canada. So I think you could have done it that way. I think Germany's close, but I think Germany is still at the spot where Aside from five or six players, you don't have the you don't have enough NHL depth to fill out the roster for an NHL tournament. Now, I think Germany is going to be one of those sneaky teams in the uh, actual Olympics in 2026 because, like, there's going to be 
you're going to get Dreisaitl. You're going to get an older Tim Stutzla, an older Moritz Sider. You're going to get some of these guys who probably felt like they were a uh, little, got a little bit short shrifted by not being at the, uh, at this tournament to maybe tr prove something there. So I think there's, there's elements there. Um, but yeah, I, let's, let's get back on track. If you were talking about the, well, no, I, yeah, let's talk and, about that. And, and so <laughs> Dan Rosen did a really cool article where he does a projection a year out of team USA. So I ask you, Sean, how many players from the Dallas stars do you think are on this team USA roster? For Dan, based on, I've already seen Dan's projections. So you think, my, oh. so I'll give you my, I'll, from, from my roster, if I'm building it, right? Yes. I have so, two in my roster. Maybe three. I actually have, I actually have three. Okay. And I'll give, and I'll explain why. Um, So I have Jason Robertson on there. Yep. I have Joe, I actually have Joe Pavelski on there um, Ooh, too, because I've seen, I've seen, I've seen some of the other projections, but. I have Joe Pavelski on there because I think in a short tournament, in a short in a short tournament, everything like this, I think a lot of this is going to be you're going to want to find instant chemistry. You're going to want to find whatever little edge you need. And I also think it's going to be a tournament where whichever special teams get going fastest are going to win this tournament. And there's still, even if he's 40 years old at the time, which he will be, like, there's still no one better in the world in front of the net in the slot than Joe Pavelski on the power play. Mm. He can be, and, and, and I, I look at Joe Pavelski as the type of player who, you have him and Robertson on the team, they could be, they could be paired up, they could play together. I still would put Pavelski on this team. Um, I know he's, I'm, I'm probably, some people think he's probably aged out. I still think he could be and should be considered because I think, for example, I look at a guy like some of the other guys I see, like I'm looking at uh, at the NHL.com story right now where Alex they've done DeBrinket. some projections. Yeah, like Debrinket or even like a like as good as as good as Tage Thompson is, like Tage Thompson is a is a roving cannon. There's a lot of roving cannons on this team. There's there's Kyle Connor. There's there, there, there's there's Kyle Connor. There's you've got you've got a lot of guys who can shoot the puck. I don't see a lot of guys on this team USA that are going to bring what Pavelski brings to the power play in the slot in front of the net. Yeah, that's so a, I would that's actually interesting. Been, yeah, I would. That's that's how. Oh, I see Pavelski being on this team. Um, the other and then I take and then the other one that is I'm actually I I think this is people overreacting to, um per save percentage this season when they don't put Ottinger on the team. But like, to me, it's pretty clearly Hellebuck, Demko and Ottinger are your three team USA goals. Agreed. Goalies. I know Swayman's having a great year with Boston, but you can't tell me that you don't look at what Ottinger can do in a short stretch or what Hellebuck can do. Like to me, it is, I, I, I think it's, it's pretty silly that you don't, anyone that doesn't have Ottinger because I think people are overreacting to save percentage this season when Swayman is. Yeah. I mean, Sw Swayman is Swayman's a 50, 50 a goalie. Book. I mean, exactly. yeah, so I, I, you're, yeah. you're basically putting in, I mean, I hate to use the term backup cause he's terrific. Um, but mm -hmm. you're, you're using someone that shares the net minding as opposed to someone who takes on the load as far as net minding. So that's, yeah. Yeah. You know, the other one that I had on there because it's projected a year away you know, I understand the Brock Faber love, but I think we're going pretty quick. 
I'm interested to see where Thomas Harley is in a year. That's a great point. That's a great point. That is a great point because I think Thomas Harley has a, we've seen the breakout in Dallas, but we, uh, that is, I, I definitely, I, mean, I, I like Faber. Faber's a really good player, yes. but like, but Thomas, but to me, would you try Gavin? If I, if I gave you one for one, if I, if I'm, if I'm, if I give you put give you access to Jim Neal's phone, and Bill Guerin calls and he says, "Hey, I'll give you Brock Faber for Thomas Harley straight up." Are you doing it? No. And that's my answer. Yeah. So me that's too. the like 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 that's that's my point. So um, it's uh, so yeah, I, it's it's definitely a uh, there's yeah. But you know what I you know what I do like about this tournament and what I do like about the Olympics is I believe they and the World Championships and the World Juniors it creates chatter and it also creates pride yep. in country. So while I appreciate All Star Games and the skills competition, they just don't create the chatter that a country creates. So yes. um, I think there might be some extra That's eyes great. on you know anytime you put that USA. I mean, heck, I, you know, whatever the sport. I personally, I like curling. Any sport that has USA on it, I'm like, I'm in. You know, love yeah. it. You put that sweater on. That's something I asked Hannah Bilka. Um, you know, what was it like putting that USA sweater on for the first time? And she just said it's surreal. So, I mean, that's that's a perfect example of, you know, I mean, you're representing your whole country. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. So it was a... Uh, was a very interesting, uh, very interesting article. Well, you are a beast, sir, and uh, appreciate yeah. you carving I do think, some time. Yeah, I, yeah. Before before we go too far, Gavin, real quick, it is going to be interesting to see how the the stars stars faithful lines on this this tournament because obviously we're looking at Team USA is going to be an easy, interesting rooting interest, but it's going to be interesting when because um, Team Finland conceivably. And likely, depending on whether Yanni Hockenpah resigns with Dallas or not, is going to have four stars on the team. Like the team Finland is going to be be the most star heavy team. Obviously, with Ropa Hintz and Miro Hishkin and Essa Lindell, and, uh, and and Yanni Hockenpah is still a top four defender for Finland. Like if Yanni Hockenpah resigns with Dallas, which we don't know, could happen, could not. He's a UFA this summer. Like you could have, like we we always joke about Dallas being Finland South, and well, it's it's gonna. Be be true so i think it's it's gonna be there's gonna be some pretty clear rooting interests of who are the top two teams for for stars fans in this uh, yeah. in this tournament yeah you know heck yeah and by the way kari letnin still skating with the stars alumni so he'd be available as well he uh well that's uh i don't think he's gonna beat out uzi saros for that one so <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i did i did i, I did want to add it i talked about this with luds the other day it's, it is cool because i mean kudos smu you know they had some you know, pretty quick skaters on the ice and it was, it was fun, but just the mindset of the NHL player and the positioning is so unique. You know, even Luds broke up a two on one and I just watched his positioning and I talked to him about it and like, he was so excited. He's like, you see my positioning. He's like, I played that two on one. Perfect. And I'm like, you really did Luds. So it was, it's kind of interesting. Like, and I know we talk about the athletic ability, but just the mindset of the NHL compared to other levels as far as where to be in positioning and knowing where the puck's going to go, it's just a massive part of the game, Sean. Was Luds wearing the giant shin guards? No. 
now I slimmed down a bit, huh? Wow. You know, so a couple things. I uh, got some updates on them. Um, they are in a case. Um, he still has them. But he told me, I didn't realize that they actually were not that big, but over the years they kept widening out. And that's why people perceive them as big, but that's just because they wouldn't go back in. <laughs> that's a classic. That That is a very, it's it's what's the, the old, uh, they don't make them like they used to. It's like, type thing like it's today's shin guards aren't aren't, aren't lasting that long and they're uh, <laughs> probably a bit safer technically for their size but <laughs> yeah i mean you yeah. know yeah he was talking the other day um he was uh given some new pants and the first thing he did was took the padding out of the pants <laughs> he cut down his uh shoulder pads as well and you know he said when he was playing he cut a lot of his equipment down and he's like, yeah, probably not the smartest move. But it is funny that these, you know, NHLers and as as we advance as far as protection, they're trying to get rid of the protection so they can be more free on the ice. That's funny. It's, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I, uh, I know Sean. Sean's extra padding <laughs> up to play net, right? Um, I well, yeah. I mean, as a goalie, you're it's the one thing that you gotta take care of yourself on, right? The the thing that I um, probably – the one thing that I don't know – this is not too much information. It's just true. It's one of the things that most goalies do if you want kind of a funny random hockey thing that some people I didn't realize didn't realize. But, like, when I play goalie, I wear two cups, actually. Really? As, as much as I didn't expect – yeah. I wear a traditional player one, and then I wear the much larger goalie one because uh, you are can't be too careful when you're getting uh, – when. Wow. When when shots are getting fired at you. Yeah, so. no, it totally makes sense. Yeah, no, I totally get it. By the way, you you just you slipped in a nice four game heater with your uh club team. What's your save percentage? <laughs> they uh unfortunately they they don't keep track of it well. There have been games where uh so we had a game where we won four nothing two weeks ago. And I'm intentionally bringing that one up because I had a shutout. And uh, the <laughs> shots, uh, the shots on the official score sheet taken by the scorekeeper were four nothing in the game. So, <laughs> <laughs> so on the official score sheet, both goalies ended up with a zero point zero zero save percentage, even oh. though it was three nothing. So, uh, uh, they uh, they used to be they used to keep better track of stats in the league, and then. Uh, they uh they did it for a little bit and then I'm sure too many people complained about one wrong thing or the other and they just I decided uh we're just uh we're just keeping track of goals and assists. So <laughs> Well you got a clean sheet and that's what matters. That's uh, that that's what matters. Yes, my that's what matters uh, my, most, so. my favorite goaltender. Well, thank you so much. You can read Sean at uh Shap Shots, uh, at D magazine. Uh where else can we find Sean? The movie coming out. The name of the book is called We Win Here. Uh, he's a busy man, but it's so great that he can join us, uh, Spits and Suds, on a on a weekly basis. Thank you so much, Beast. We'll talk to you uh, next week. Looking forward to it, Gavin, and uh, everyone. Thank you for listening. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks to one and all for listening to Spits and Suds. We'll be on tomorrow after the game. So once Montreal ends, I'll pop on and uh, give you my thoughts uh, as the Stars end this road trip. And then next week, Tuesdays and Thursdays games, David Castillo will join us for D Magazine. So we have uh, some big guests coming up in the next few weeks. So always excited to talk to you and talk DFW hockey right here on Spits and Suds. Have a great day, everyone.